Hello and welcome to Peaceful at Heart. My name is Cedric Martin and I'll be your host. Each week we're going to take a closer look at the book Peaceful at Heart, Anabaptist Reflections on Healthy Masculinity. We'll dive into the chapters, hear from the authors, and think a little bit more about what healthy masculinity looks like in our modern context. Joining us today is Leonard Dow. Leonard, welcome and thanks for your work on the book so we can discuss it today. Uh, how are you doing? I am doing doing quite well, uh, Cedric. Thank you for the opportunity to, uh, yeah, share a little bit about the book and and ultimately, or in, including um, more about my father. That's great. Yeah, I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, I, I exactly what I was going to say is that your chapter is such a beautiful tribute to your father. Uh, he sounds like a wonderful man, uh, and I'm curious uh, which which of your father's traits do you think best describes you? Yeah. Um, I would I would begin by just um, encouraging uh, people uh, who, or children who may have challenging circumstances with their parent or their father or their mother, but specifically with their father. Um, since we're talking about men, um, to recognize some of my own ability to discern and, and even embrace uh, my father is taking me a little bit of time. So if you're 18 or 28 or even 38 or maybe even older closer to my age. Sometimes it takes time to fully appreciate it. Um, but that, but that being said, um, in no way have I gained this, but what I've appreciated about my father that I try to hold on to is patience. Um, he was an extremely patient, um, man. Um, my mother, uh, uh, is, was, was the opposite of him as, as it relates to, um, wanting to see things happen right away, um, very passionate, never had to guess what's on our mind. And my father was a good balance of looking the long view and um, at times willing to take a, um, in a, a loss for a long-term gain um, would be a way I would say it. And even in him seeing um, as it relates to quote social changes uh, in his life, he was very patient, um, probably more patient than I am, but he was very patient. So what I've, um, and then having five children living under the same roof as his mother-in-law um, creates all opportunities for the ministry of reconciliation, as you can imagine. Um, and seeing him be able to navigate that um, in a way where he was able to keep his dignity, but also um, express a direction that he wanted to go, but also recognizing uh, people aren't always willing to go where you need them to go, but he was able to walk along with them. Um, and then his work as a deacon in, in the church, seeing people um, who had different levels of addiction or marriages that were broken or, or whatever those type of circumstances, um, he was willing to, to walk along with them in that journey. And so that, idea of patience. And I, and I would say that one of the, not one, but the first thing that love is represented at in scripture is love is, is patient. Right. And so, um, I've, I've tried to lean into that. You have to talk directly to my own children, uh, to see <laughs> how that's played out, uh, in my home or my wife. Um, but you could also then 
look into the congregation that I was blessed to be pastor of for a number of years, and now now in my uh, work here um, at Everance as well. Yeah, that's that's beautiful thinking about the the sort of the maturity that's required to to learn as you're going. Yeah, and, and by the way, uh, that that level of maturity doesn't stop at, at my age of fifty six now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still trying to be mature. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you say in your chapter that you spent many of your years growing up, and, and just as you're talking about now, that it, it took uh, many years to to realize and to think as your your dad. You describe him as an ordinary black man. Can you tell us more about the shift in mindset to appreciate his ordinariness, as you say? Yeah. And I would I, again. I would begin with the idea of ordinary comes out of the um, the Acts text there, and I want to say Acts four um, there, where Peter is in and he's a company going into the temple, and and he's arrested, and then on the other side of that arrest, um, the Sanhedrin and those gathered um, were concerned about 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 this man because his knowledge and his wisdom and his power that was oozing out of him, the spirit of God was oozing out of him, um, was, was similar to that of Jesus. And their concern was that the concern was that if, if, if the masses could see what God could do with an ordinary man, like, like him, a nobody, then, um, then that could cause a problem to the, to the, to the power to the powers that be. And so I want to make sure that people understand when I say ordinary, it's not in the sense as a negative, but as ordinary in the sense of being available to be utilized and equipped by God. So um, that being said, there was some parts of my father being ordinary that was difficult for me to um, embrace. Um, You know, I turned out to be a decent athlete. He wasn't. I turned out to be a college graduate. Um, He didn't finish. Um, he didn't finish high school. Um, he eventually got his GED, but he didn't finish high school. Uh, able to travel the world, he never did. So the, the list just goes on. But in that ordinariness, his availability to be equipped and used by God was just so imminent in his life that it was difficult for me as I began to get older to not admire. Um, him as uh, I mentioned patience, but another P that would be my father is a person of peace. And within the Anabaptist context, that often means not fighting something, but I, and that's okay. But I, I, I use the word more of shalom of, of, of being at peace with God and being at peace with your neighbor and that neighbor beginning to being at peace with your children and your spouse and in that home. And he carried that with him. And he had so much, in my estimation, that he could um, rage about, <laughs> and he refused to rage. And um, and it wasn't because he was keeping a deep, deep <laughs> in an unhealthy context, because uh, he would talk about the struggles of being a black man, the struggles of of um, not having a high school education, and and those other things. But at the center of who he was was this shalom. Um, that oozed out of him and would um, have would be uh, like a, a gravity. People would be drawn drawn to him um, 
in ways that would um, confuse him at times, um, but yet would make him so attractive to, um, to, to myself as his son, as well as to um, so many other people in, in, in his church and even at his place of work um, and in neighbors in our community. Yeah, and, and all of that comes back to what you were talking about in the chapter two of his uh, being available, uh, his availability to you. That's right. And part of, I think, yeah, thank you for that, um, Cedric, in that part of being an ordinary man is being available. And I think, and, and this is where I navigate, because I've had more opportunities than my father, at least in my professional life, than, than, he, than he could have dreamed of. But in that, and, and then resources that come along with that, but then in that, it can impact my availability. <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. not just to my family, but also my availability, availability to God um, to perhaps be used in ways that, um, that aren't on my radar because I'm so, um, you know, according to the world, um, I'm, I'm, I'm beyond ordinary because I have access. But sometimes that access isn't, as, is, isn't the, the cost benefit isn't as, as great as we think it is. <laughs> Um, and so that's the balance that I try to walk in, um, and try to communicate, um, uh, to my own children and then in my ministry, um, and those, uh, young brothers that I, that I speak into, uh, mentor, that I mentor now. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Leonard, I, I appreciated that you, you mentioned the, the book, The New Jim Crow. You mentioned the story of Trayvon Martin, the Central Park Five, among others in your chapter. Uh, this chapter, of course, was written before the death of Breonna Taylor and, and George Floyd. Uh, I, I just wonder, what more can we do as as groups, as churches, as communities, than we could as individuals to, to stop the injustices that we see? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was hesitant to write some of that, not because it's not part of, part of my... Um, understanding and in, in my reality as an African-American um, growing up in, in this country, but that it would deflect from wanting to cherish my father and, and his legacy um, or those type of things. But I'm glad that I did. Um, I could have leaned in a little bit more, probably could have put a little bit more teeth in that. But I'm hoping that people, first of all, first are talking about um, what can do. Um, I hope people recognize that for, I can't speak for all African-Americans, nor would I try to, but at least in my father, in my own experience, and many of the African-Americans I know, the, the intersection between our, our, our personal experiences and what's happening in, in the national, be it uh, Breonna Taylor or George Floyd or, or any other, the number of, of black and brown people who have, um, been murdered or victimized um, by the police, those stories are our stories. And, and so I write about those things because I've experienced them. No, I've never been beaten down, but believe me, I've been close enough um, to that or a sibling of mine have. And so um, that's, that's why I, I wrote about it. Um, and, and hopefully people will be, um, who may not be able to hear it in other venues will have their ear perked up. As it relates to what can groups of churches or communities do? Well, I think first of all is, is um, 
is listen. <laughs> um, very rarely are um, narratives or books or, or um, written by people who look like me, who have my type of experiences, um, are embraced in the general public. And so when I have an opportunity, I would encourage people to read um, <laughs> narratives and, um, uh, by authors, um, black and brown, um, Native American authors who write about a variety of subjects and topics. But within that, often they're writing from their perspective and from their worldview, which is often different than our white brothers and sisters. Um, not necessarily better, but it's different. And so it therefore expands and hopefully give us a higher level of empathy um, as it relates to um, uh, the varied uh, community, uh, people of God um, experience. But listening and learning um, without action, in my opinion, um, is, is ineffective. And so I encourage communities upon listening and learning through the reading and or YouTube or whatever. And I'll, I'll just say it bluntly, there's really not an excuse um, with the use of um, so many different social platforms in the access of getting a book in a day. And if you're uh, somewhat not open to reading directly because you're busy, you can get anything on, a, on, um, on, on audio now. Um, and, and to engage um, um, yourselves uh, around topics and around authors that would be different from, from just those that you draw from. But then I would encourage action. Um, I would say, you know, in most communities across our country, uh, there are black and brown um, nonprofits, black and brown churches, black and brown uh, schools that um, one can go and um, if not directly involve yourself, at least uh, volunteer to some extent to see what's going on, to see how their lives um, are, you know, are being experienced. Um, go there more to um, participate and less to, uh, to go and save them or go and do something for them. In some cases, maybe to go more to experience um, what's happening in that particular, in that particular um, uh, network. For those who have resources, investing. Um, you know, you have the ability to choose what and who and how you invest. Um, who, who do you invest your money with? Where are those investments going or, you know, or not going um, is a question that we need to begin to, to seriously ask um, as well. Um, those are the things that come to mind. Uh, be curious, um, ask questions around what narrative is seen as normative and what narrative is seen as um, <laughs> not normative and you know, ask those questions. And um, I'm not going in a particular order. As it relates to listening and learning, if you don't think history matters, um, I would say then ask the question as to why there are um, a lot of intensity happening right now around things such as critical race theory, around uh, uh, ways in which people are asking there are other narratives beyond what has been taught uh, as it relates to history. History is very important and um, 
far too many of us aren't as um, knowledgeable in our black and brown communities history as we are, say, around, um, I think it's the Anabaptist audience, Marta's Mirror, or um, some of those other important things, because that's part of our, of, our, um, of our church history. But are you as familiar around just celebrated, or not celebrated, but just remembered yesterday, the Tulsa race riot, Red Summer, um, um, Reconstruction, uh, uh, you know, Jim Crow, all these things that many of us aren't as familiar with. So you better stop me or I'll just keep going. <laughs> I, I really appreciate that, Leonard. And I, I think that there's a lot that uh, uh, individuals and groups can take away from, from what you were saying there. And I hope they do. Uh, I think to, to reiterate for myself is to, to listen, to learn, uh, and to make sure that all of that has action. Thank correct. You. Correct. Correct. Leonard, as oh, we... Okay, can I jump in ahead. one more thing? The one Absolutely. thing I would say is, the last thing I would say, or not on, on, on that question that you just asked me, one has to have a willingness to be uncomfortable, hmm. um, specifically around race, uh, race, racism, in, um, in the church and outside the church. And if you're not willing to um, feel uncomfortable then it's going to be difficult for you to listen, learn, and act. Um, so uncomfortableness will come with uh, that. But, it, you know, at the most simple <laughs> uh, analogy I could come with is that, you know, all of us were extremely uncomfortable when we had to take that driving test that first time to pass in order to get our driver's license. But we had to study, we had to prepare, we had to act. It, but there did come a point where we had to perform or we had to actually go through it. But just on the other side of that, that relief and that sense of, oh, I did it um, also comes with it. And I think, you know, in this conversation uh, around race and and this continuum, um, because it's, it's a continuum, it's not a finish line, unlike a driver's test. That's where that as all analogies eventually fail. Um, it's an ongoing um, dialogue and growing and awareness and action, learning awareness and action, it's learning awareness and action. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, it's, you know, it's ongoing. Um, similar to our, you know, our scriptures talk about us becoming more and more like Christ. It's not like we actually going to get there, but there's this ongoing journey um, that we need to involve ourselves in. Now I'm done. Okay. Thank you. I, I really like that analogy. Uh, and, and I think it might carry a little further than you think. I mean, uh, once you've got that, that test done, you're still, you're on the road every day. Uh, there's still, uh, you still have to pay attention. Yeah. That's right. There's this, there. there's this ongoing application. There you go. See, mm -hmm. you got a little preacher in there. Are you a preacher? <laughs> <laughs> Cause most pastors, we take the analogy too far in it, you know, <laughs> uh, as we shift gears a little bit, Leonard, I'm wondering what, what you think when, when you're thinking of masculinity, um, how does that play into your own faith and, and how does masculinity play into the church? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think for me having, um, we talked about my father a little bit earlier, though he was ordinary in so many of the, of the ways of the, how the world would measure him. I think he was a little extraordinary <laughs> in his demeanor and his complementarian approach to engaging um, 
women in the world uh, from a posture of humility compared to a hands open, as I'm here with my hands open, compared to a posture of power and dominance. And so his seeing him interact, and, and I don't want to overstate this because my father and mother, they were not, um, what do you call it? Uh, public affection was not something that they demonstrated. So I don't want to over uh, overextend that. But at the same time, um, kindness and gentleness and mutuality was common in, in my household. And so seeing my father, um, and this is at a very, you know, granny, uh, very in the weeds way, but seeing my father wash, wash dishes, um, clean the house, um, work 12 hour days yet, um, uh, engage in, um, uh, sitting with my, with my sisters and hearing their story of their day. Um, as a, as a boy, um, that was a model for me that, that I took to heart that um, is ingrained in me. Now, not everyone has that. And so masculinity for me uh, was, was more, uh, I'm trying to think of a word, was more comprehensive than what do I get out of it. But it was more about how do we get to wherever we, to ever, to everywhere we need to go together. And, and that's more of a complimentary, um, you know, aspect. I would say in the church, we really, um, struggle, um, identifying masculinity, masculinity. And as a result, it's either this, um, I would say Western dominant power, struggle for power or nothing. <laughs> it's either no mention <laughs> or this false narrative. And I think where the church could uh, speak into it is what does it mean to be fully quote masculine and, and, and what it means to be a man and some of the uniqueness of my makeup <laughs> as a male, mm -hmm. but then not in isolation, but asking how does that complement <laughs> our, our sisters, our female, along then with our potential offspring, be they ours or others, and us becoming more and more like Christ and building the kingdom of God in our homes and in our communities, and then living together um, in unity as one within the church. So, um, and I, and I would say, you know, modeling that, I mean, you know, good or bad, one of the ways Anabaptism has, has historically understood, you know, our Christ, crystal centric focus, you know, if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us, right? That's kind of our, so, so action is very important, um, you know, to us. And one of the things that I recall, um, getting feedback on as a pastor at Oxford Circle for a Mennonite church for a number of years, um, because we had an unusual amount of men in our church. 
um, and, and, and it's a very diverse, um, multi-intercultural congregation. And someone asked me that, you know, asked me that question. I said, well, don't ask me, ask some of the men, um, <laughs> beyond myself. Cause I would be curious. And one of the things that I heard back from, from them, and I, again, I'm not trying to give the impression I did it all well, but one of the things that I heard back was that, um, men, uh, that, that in the church, men were being affirmed, but not at the expense of others. And I think sometimes we feel as though we have to do one or the other, you know, we, we either have to be in a, you know, saying the role of men is this, and we have to do these three things and then everyone else has to come under us or there's nothing where I wanted us to be at. Um, and I, from a biblical perspective is how can we uh, be truly the men of this church? In my case, I was the lead pastor, but yet at the same time, create space for, for, for those to equally come alongside in my leadership and to leadership within this congregation. And, and let us, and my co-pastor happened to be a woman, so that, it, that fit well into modeling, to, to modeling that. And I think the church has to figure out how do we create space for men, but not at the expense of others. Cause I think that's when it becomes toxic. Um, and I think the myth that you can't affirm, um, uh, masculinity in the church, um, at, uh, because it's going to be offensive to everyone else. I'm like, uh, perhaps if we're very affirming of men and women, and then creating space for conversation of how does that work well together that brings glory and honor to God. I think you would get people leaning in and, and, and curious and um, about that as well. So that would be my, that would be my comments on that. Yeah. I really like that, that imagery of bringing alongside. Thank you, Leonard. Yeah. Uh, Leonard, we, we're just about out of time here. I want to thank you very much for, for making yourself available uh, to us today. Uh, before we go, uh, do you have any sending thoughts for us? Um, what would be some sending thoughts? I would say, and people have heard me speak before, um, be curious. Um, um, be curious about um, if you're blessed or may not feel blessed to have a, a, a father and or male uh, figure in your life, be curious about their journey to where they are and perhaps even how they communicate or in some cases don't communicate. Um, be curious, try to hear the narrative and the story behind who they are. Um, the one thing that um, really struck me when I hit my mid forties was, um, and I had my father's Bible he had given me before he passed and uh, in it was uh, his birth date. And I remember, uh, uh, I'm sorry, it was the date in which he got the Bible, which was like 46 or 48. And so when I hit that age, whatever age that was, I don't know, a, a rush came upon me that, you know what? I remember my father when he was my age now. And I remember some of the unfair expectations that I talk about in my chapter and unfair um, assumptions that I had regarding 
him being at that age that I thought he should have. And now I'm at that age and I don't have the answer to those questions that I thought he should have had back when I was 18 or 19, which then enabled me to have a lot more grace as I thought about my father and his legacy. Um, so be curious, don't give up on, um, if it's not a, you know, as long as it's not a, a dangerous relationship, but don't give up on those relationships. Um, being a man in um, 2021 in some of the toxic ways in which we have been told we, we should live or act or communicate or not communicate has in some cases the church not really having a quote place for us um, or the place that they have for us isn't a healthy place <laughs> has kind of left us in this um this uh, ambiguous place don't give up on us um continue to ask us questions some of us are really wanting to share more about who we are in our own journey and what we have learned to inform you um in ways that will um hopefully be a uh, more of a blessing or or a, or a, um a, uh, only word that comes to mind is a resurrection or uh, a new birth, um, perhaps, as it relates to you being a man um, uh, who's loved and um, cared by God um, and has a purpose, um, you know, for your life and for the next generation. And also be curious about the unique um, journey of uh, some of our black and brown um, uh, brothers uh, and sisters, but we're talking about men in this context, in their journey, <clears throat> listen to their stories, um, to some of their cultural nuances um, that, that could also perhaps be a blessing and encouragement uh, to you as well. Um, so be curious, continue to be curious, would be my uh, sending thoughts. That's great. Thank you very much, Leonard. I uh, appreciate your time and I hope you have a great rest of your day as well. Thank you. Thank you so much. Peaceful at Heart was recorded in the city of Tuckeronto, the land covered by Treaty 13 with the Mississaugas of the Credit. This is the Dish with One Spoon territory. The Dish with One Spoon is a treaty between the Anishinaabe, Mississaugas, and Haudenosaunee that bound them to share the territory and protect the land. Subsequent indigenous nations and peoples, Europeans, and all newcomers have been invited into this treaty in the spirit of peace, friendship, and respect. We all eat out of the dish, and all of us that share this territory with one spoon. We want to acknowledge the ancestral lands and waterways of the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabek, the Chippewa, the Seneca, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat peoples. Takaranto is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit, and Métis peoples. We wish to thank them and any other nations who cared for this land. Colonization is a continuing form of oppression so it is important that we acknowledge the lands and digital spaces that we are holding and taking up. We remember the acknowledged and unacknowledged, recorded and unrecorded, past, present, and future. We are all treaty people. Peaceful at Heart was produced and edited by myself, Cedric Martin. It was made possible thanks to Mennonite Central Committee, Mennonite Church Eastern Canada, 
Be in Christ, Church of Canada, Theatre of the Beat, and of course, by Mennonite Men. To find more resources, head to MennoniteMen.org.